Our sermon text for this evening is John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Thus far the reading of God's word. Does anyone here like the movie Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia, particularly the first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Um, Bree will tell you that I really don't like to rewatch movies a lot. It's very rare for me. And yet, I remember when I was younger, I I would rewatch that movie over and over. That was a movie I liked. Well, if you've seen that movie, then... You know the context, right? World War II, um, in the family, they're running away um, from the war, and eventually they stumble across a portal, um, this wardrobe. And it takes them into, a, into an entirely different world, doesn't it? They take the door or portal into Narnia, and they escape danger, And in Narnia, there are some very cool things, right? Like talking animals. And there are also some challenges. But in Narnia, they have Aslan to protect them from all of these dangers. And I think that's what our text is about. Um, If you want to be protected, if you're looking for security, then... You must go through the door. And on the other side, an entirely different world is waiting for you. If your desire is to escape danger, then you must come to the door. And so our outline is very simple, three points. Um, The first is the danger. 
the door and the delight. Danger, door, delight. So first there is danger threatening the flock. And that's what Jesus says in verses 1 and 8. We're told thieves and robbers want to harm the flock. But to do that, they have to go around the door. They can't go through the door. They have to hop the fence because they know if they go through the door, then they have to deal with the shepherd. They have to deal with the shepherd. Just like the bad guys in Narnia would have to deal with Aslan. Now, the first thing I think of when I read Thieves and Robbers in our text, I think of the game Cops and Robbers I used to play growing up. Um, it's a fun game when you're a kid, and it, it, it is how it sounds. If you are a robber, then your job is to not get caught. And if you're a cop, then your job is to get the robbers. And it's all fun, it's all fun and games until um, you break something or your parents find you somewhere where you're not supposed to be. But a fun game of cops and robbers is not what's being described here. These thieves and robbers in our text that really want to harm the flock of God. And what's interesting is why the text says they do not go through the door, but they have to climb in another way. During that time, most of the people in Israel, they had sheep. They had animals, and that makes sense because how are you going to participate in worship um, and perform the animal sacrifices if you don't have any animals? And so most people had um, sheep they could sacrifice. And yet, um, everyone did not have enough sheep um, for, that you would necessarily classify as a flock. So there would be typically two or three per household. And yet there would be one shepherd who would be the head over multiple houses, over um, multiple houses who had these sheep. And the shepherd would be allowed to go. He had the freedom to go door to door. And he would be recognized by the homeowner and recognized by the doorkeeper. And yet thieves and robbers, they would not be recognized by the homeowner or the doorkeeper. And so they don't have that kind of freedom that the shepherd would have. And if you're a Jew at the time, and you see someone hopping over your fence, like you look out and like just some random person jumping over the fence trying to get to the sheep, you think, you automatically think, robber, robber. This guy is bad news. Um, he's, not, he's not a very good guy. You think they're trying to harm your flock, and you would do something about it. And if you're, if you're here and you farm or you work on a farm, you probably get a sense of what that is like, right? If you see someone hopping over fences and running through your fields and whatnot, it's typically not a very good sign. But given this is a mini parable and the elements and the characters are metaphors, they represent something. Um, and who do you think the thieves and robbers are in the text? Are they actual thieves and robbers? I suppose they could be. I mean, we understand that the flock would be the people of God. In Scripture, God's people are described that way multiple times. But who are the thieves and robbers? They could be literal thieves and robbers who want to jump in 
um, and steal money from the house and steal a sheep and use the sheep for their own gain and benefit. Or they, they could be people trying to earn their salvation. And so they don't go through the door. The door would be the proper way to salvation. And the thieves and robbers, they have to hop in because they're trying to find another way. And that might represent people trying to earn salvation by their good works, their piety, their righteousness. Um, but I think in context, the thieves and robbers would represent the Pharisees, given what happens in John chapter 9, the previous chapter. Jesus healed a blind man um, in chapter 9, and rather than rejoice with the blind man who just recovered his sight, they started interrogating him. They began asking him many questions. Who healed you? Where is he from? What do you think about him? And in a way, they're robbing that blind man of his joy. They're robbing him of what Jesus had just done for him. I mean, and that's what thieves and robbers do. They take stuff. They're not coming to help you out. They don't want to give you anything. They're only in it for themselves. They, they, want, they want what you have so that they can have it and get the, reap the benefit from it. And what's interesting is the words used for robbers here. Um, the word here for robbers is the same kind of person that we find at Jesus' trial. Remember his trial um, and what happened? Um, the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And they end up crucifying him, but they do let one man go, don't they? Do, re do you remember his name and what, what he um, did? His name was Barabbas, and he was a robber. Robbers were the kind of people that got the death penalty in Roman society. In that time, robber, and, and robbery was a little bit different than thievery. Robbery was a little bit more brutal and violent. In our culture, thievery and robbery tend to be synonyms. But in that time, robbery was more aggressive. And yet Jesus is describing the Pharisees in this manner. They don't want what's best for God's people. They want what's best for themselves. They care about how they look. And Jesus warns of these kinds of people in Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but on the inside are ravenous wolves. So the Pharisees are the prime example of this. They are thieves and robbers. And when Jesus says in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, he's talking about this long history where Israel's leaders are leading them astray. They fail to properly lead God's people into shepherd his flock. And instead, they use and abuse God's people for their own benefit. And God says, this is a form of theft. God's word says, thou shalt not steal. And when God's people are robbed of the pure preaching of the word, when 
extra burdens are heaped onto God's people, like the Pharisees would um, heap on God's people, when that happens, um, God, God says that's a form of theft. When God's people do not get to enjoy the joy of salvation, this is theft. God's people, um, they, deserve, they are worthy of that. Um, Christ redeemed us for that, for us to enjoy him. And so when spiritual leaders come in and they preach um, pr- prosperity and wealth, um, when they try and fleece God's people for what they have, then they are stealing from God's people. And this is a real danger for the people of God today, isn't it? Um, you have your prosperity preachers, right? They always talk about giving. If you give me money, then I, I, it'll make your life better. If you just sow a seed, then God will multiply it in your life and bring more wealth back to you. They don't proclaim Christ and him crucified. And yet what ends up happening is you remain broke and poor. And their pockets get full. And God's people do not get fed. But praise God that his people do not fall for that kind of foolishness. But flock to his word. And that's what Jesus says in verse 5. They will not follow a stranger, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, how do we escape this danger? It can be a scary thing, particularly if you're not a mature Christian in the faith, right? And it's, it's actually quite heartbreaking that so many people are led astray in this way. I mean, if you think of the prosperity preachers in their churches, there are just Thousands of people in them. And yet in 1 John, John talks about this exact thing. There will come a time, and that time is upon us. I believe it's upon us right now, when many antichrists will rise up and some people will fall away. But what does John say in 1 John 2.19? 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, these people really were not a part of the flock, were they? Because if they were, they would have stayed in the pen. And God's people hear his voice in a, in a sign that you are part of God's flock, that you belong to him, is that you don't go after those kinds of preachers. You don't have the itching ears, but you're able to discern who they really are, thieves and robbers. And so what refuge do the sheep have from this kind of danger? Well, as I said earlier, the one way to escape danger and not be swindled by thieves and robbers is to enter through the door. Truly come through the door, because that's the only way you'll be safe. That's the only way you'll be protected. And that's our second point. To escape danger, enter through the door. How many of you are tired of the leadership failures that you hear all the time? 
um, in the church. You know, all of these podcasts are coming out. Um, the rise of Mar- or the right, I think it's the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Um, but all these podcasts are coming out, and they talk about all these leadership failures that that happen, um, and they document the moral failings of leaders in the church. And if that bugs you, if that makes you just really angry, or if you think that'll be you um, being bamboozled and going after leaders like that, then there's really only one hope for you. And that is, if you come to the door, come through the door. And now, what I, what I want us to notice about the door is that there is only one door. Um, Jesus says, I am the door, and that is a definite article. He doesn't say, I am a door. There are no other options. He is the door. And this is not a very popular opinion in our culture, is it? I don't know if you guys have heard, well, you probably have heard of the movie Monsters, Inc. That was another movie I liked growing up. Um, But it's a cute little movie about um, monsters um, trying to scare little kids. And um, what happens is this little girl escapes her room. And the entire movie is two monsters uh, what's his name? Sully and Mike Wazowski. They spend the whole movie trying to get her back to the room. And there are all these different doors, right? They go from door to door to door. It seems like there are just hundreds of doors, right? And they embark on this long journey until they finally get to her door. And the thing about her door is that it's home to her. All the other doors did not belong to her. All the other doors were not home to her. But her door was home. And and what I want you to know this evening is that the world will try and sell you hundreds of doors that you need to go through that will give you satisfaction, that they think will um, lead to green pastures for you and give you a better life. For example, the world might say communism or the redistribution of wealth is a door to a better life. Like if everyone just had everything the same, like if there were no distinctions between anyone, we all worked the same um, job, we all had the same looking house, we all had the same amount of money in our bank account, that's what people will say will lead to green pastures. And on the other hand, you have people who say, well, well, money is a door to a better life. If I just had more money, and even people in the church can think like that. We look at wealthy people outside of the church, um, like celebrities, LeBron James and Michael Jordan, all these different people who have fancy houses, and we look at them and think, well, what if my life was like that? What if I had that, mu- that much money? Maybe things would be better. Maybe that would lead to green pastures. And think even more personally. Well, what if my, what if my wife or my husband did this? What if they acted like that? Or what if my kids were in that program and they played that sport or they went to that college? Whatever it is, um, there are all these different doors that people will tell you will lead to a better life, a more fulfilling life. And yet there is only one door that will lead to the abundant life. One door 
that is open to anyone and does not discriminate. One door that you may enter, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you have money, whether you don't have money. One door that is wide open to everyone. And that door is Jesus Christ. And he welcomes you to him. The door is wide open. The offer is free. And he says, come to me right now. Come to me. And there are green pastures waiting for you. An abundant life waiting for you. You hear all this talk about living your best life now, right? And it typically comes from people Jesus is telling us to look out for. And yet we as Christians don't have to shy away from that language, do we? We want to live our best life now. We're human. We're not happy when things don't go our way. We're not happy when we struggle. We want life to be lived to the fullest. We want abundant life, don't we? Well, that is only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in financial liberty it's not found in a high 401k where you can retire um, and, and move to the Bahamas or whatever you want. Um, it's not found in anything this world has to offer you. And you probably experience that, don't you? Um, and boys and girls, you probably have experienced that too. Like when you are waiting for Christmas and, and you have all that eager expectation. Like, oh, if I just had this toy, then... My life would be so much better. And then Christmas rolls around, and then you get that toy. And then after maybe like a day, you don't want to play with it anymore. And then mom and dad are like, well, why did I get you that in the first place if you're just going to stop playing with it? And so the abundant life that we all desire, that our hearts are longing for, is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in being fed by him. And no doubt, we were made for green pastures. Think about the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are allowed to enjoy and delight in the garden. Eat from whatever tree they want. And yet, they were exiled from the garden because of their sin, weren't they? And now, we don't have access to green pastures. And the world has turned into a pig pen, as it were. And we love rolling around in the mud. And yet Jesus says, come out of the mud. Stop trying to go through these doors that the world has to offer you, but come to me. And I will satisfy your longing. I will feed you with delights that you cannot even think of far more abundantly than you can ask or think. Put down the slap of this world and live your best life now with me. So does anyone here want an abundant life? Come to Jesus. In verse 9 says, you will be saved and you will find pasture. You see, your best life now is Salvation, the free gift of life and communion with our Savior. 
It's having your sins forgiven. It's having your slate wiped clean. It's living and walking in purity, that in, in the liberty that the gospel brings for you. You see, all these things that the world can offer you, they're too small. That's too small. But God does have better plans for your life. He has a, the best life for you, an abundant life. Do, do you believe that? That life with Jesus is more abundant than any other life? And yet I think that's the hardest thing to believe, isn't it? Because being a Christian can feel like anything but an abundant life, right? There are struggles. And I think we get that we can live an abundant life in heaven. Like, okay, salvation is done, I accomplished, I believe, and my ticket is, is set for heaven. And when I die, I'm going to be with him. But what about right now? What about when I'm struggling right now? Where's the abundant life? It's hard. There's a cross to bear. And some of us might lose our jobs. Um, we might get passed over for a promotion. Some of you rely on rain for your crops to grow, and sometimes it just won't rain. And for others of us, life just didn't turn out how we thought it would. And yet, in the midst of all of these struggles, there is an abundant life waiting for us right now to enjoy. We can delight in what Christ has for us right now. And that leads us to our third and final point, the delight that comes with Christ. Remember in Narnia, once they pass through the portal and the door, they enter a new world. Like, they leave one war, and then they find themselves in a completely different war. There are unique challenges. But there are also things to delight in. And so, too, it is for the Christian. The Christian escapes danger by the door, but now we delight in the new life Christ has given us. And believe it or not, the way that we enjoy this life after we come through the door, after we come to Christ, is to come through another set of doors. The way we delight in green pastures is by coming through the doors of the church and doing what we're doing right now, hearing God's word, worshiping him in unity, praying for one another, bearing each other's burdens, once you enter the door of the sheep, the next step is to enter the doors of a local church and become a member of a local body where you can serve and be served, where you can love and be loved. The image of a flock is a collective imagery. It's, it's a corporate imagery. I don't know a whole lot about farming. I've said this before. But one sheep is not a flock, is it? One sheep is not a flock. Just like one player, just one running back. I play running back in college. One running back is not a football team. And so the Bible speaks of God's people as a corporate entity, collectively. Psalm 100, know that the Lord 
He is God. It is he who made us. We are the sheep of his pasture. It says we are the sheep of his pasture. That's plural. First Peter 2.25. For you were straying like sheep, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. For you were straying like sheep. And that you in Greek is a plural you. You all were straying like sheep. Isaiah 40.11. He will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. Jesus loves his flock. Do you love his flock? Do you enjoy being around God's people? And if you call yourself one of God's sheep, then it really is unthinkable that you would not want to be a part of his fold. Like you, you, people love to misuse the parable of the 99 and the 1. Um, they often use it for some political agenda where Jesus, he leaves the 99 and he goes after that one that wanders off. And yet, think, let's think about what's really happening there. Jesus goes after one sheep, one sheep. He leaves behind 99, a flock. And what does he do? He brings it back to the flock. He doesn't just leave it out there. He brings it back into, into the community of the sheep. And that shows his desire that the sheep be together with one another. And if he's willing to do that, if he's willing to risk his life for just one sheep, then how much more should we want to be with God's people fellowship with God's people, and have that kind of care and protection from our Savior. We, we shouldn't want to just be out in the world all by ourselves. We should want to be among God's people where we know that God is going to feed us. He's going to help us to enjoy him. And we are in a place right here, right now, where he's going to take care of us. I've only been to a few farms in my life. And when we were on the way to Borwa Chapel, we drove by a, a whole lot of farms. And typically, there's these fences around them. Um, you have metal, barbed wire, or sometimes there's just wood. And yet, what does that communicate? It communicates that the shepherd or the homeowner, he wants to keep God's people together so that they might be protected. So that they don't just wander off and harm themselves or harm another person. And so it is with God. And when we're fenced in by God, when we're among his people, he protects us. He's, he fences, he's our mighty fortress. Our refuge in times of help. Nothing will ultimately be able to take us out of his hand. We are the apple of his eye. But as long as you're outside of the body, as long as you live as if um, you don't need the church, 
live as if you don't have to be among God's people, then you're like that gazelle who's straggling behind and the lion is ready to prowl on them. And that's what Satan is described as, one who roams around looking whom he might devour. And in our text, it says Satan comes to to steal, to kill, and to, to destroy. And so why do you think that you would stand a chance against an enemy like that by yourself? No, you need God's people. And God's people need you. And so then we should want to be around God's people to eliminate any question of whether we belong to him or not. And yet we also need each other. So we, on the one hand, we, we delight in knowing that God protects us. We have this unique care from God. But we also delight in the fact that we are family. The flock of God is one big family. We receive care from God and from one another. It's a lot harder for that lion to get to the gazelle if it's in the pack. I, when you're watching Animal Planet, it's almost predictable. One is straggling behind, and then whoo, the cheetah, the lion just pounces on it. But for some reason, when they're together, it's a lot harder. And so it is with you. If you're not among God's people, if you're not... Um, building one another up, encouraging one another in the faith, spurring one another on, then you have not just one lion ready to get you. There are three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we need God's people in this fight. Or we'll be eaten alive. And I imagine it can be hard for us to bond with other believers. Some of us are not outgoing and introverted. Um, Some of us have family strife and different challenges. And maybe we work really long hours and we're tired after a long day. Every family has strife. And And that's no different for the family of God. If there are sinners in a family, then that family is going to be sinful. And yet belonging to the flock of God provides this arena or place where we can bear one another's burdens, protect one another from the world, um, pray together, where we can really love each other and receive love. That's, de- that's delightful. Have you ever had a conversation with your fe- fellow congregant about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, about God's goodness toward you during the week. It's delightful. And in those moments, it seems like time just flies by. Like, where's the time gone? In the wise words of Willy Wonka, in family, everything is shared Joy, sorrow, and candy too. And those of us who went on the boardwalk chapel, we know exactly what he's talking about, don't we? We spent an entire week together, fellowshipping with one another up until 1 a.m. just talking about salvation and 
and being spurred on to the mission of the church, that is what we get to enjoy and delight in. And so we as God's people, we're all bound together now. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've come through the door, then we're knit together by the Holy Spirit. One Spirit, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and what a beautiful thing the family of God is. Amen? And so the church should be a high priority for us in here because it's a high priority for God, right? The church is so important for God that he sent his son to die for her, to shed his blood for her. So then how much more should we dedicate our lives to it? Let's pray. Almighty God, what a privilege it is to be among God's people. Your word tells us, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. And how often do we not enjoy this time with one another? We are weak, we are tired, we are unable. And so, Father, send down your Holy Spirit who produces fruit in his people. One of the fruit being joy. Would we enjoy fellowship, communion with the saints. Father, help us to love one another and to bear each other's burdens so that we might show to the world there is something different about the church. They have something that we do not have. Father, would we be a light to the nations so that when the nations look to your church, they would be drawn to her. Empower us and give us faith for your mission. In Christ's name, amen.